Our first reading is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, and that's on, the, on page 740 in the Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 1. Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourselves from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria oppressed them. And now, what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock them, declares the Lord. All day long my name is constantly blasphemed. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, it's towards the end. Revelation 3, starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, 
You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people inside it who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Before I begin, I'm really loud. Just to say, much is happening about Snow Hill and the project of the Gateway and the modernization. And lots has been spoken of in the church family. This gateway, Snow Hill, is obviously run and owned by a trust uh, that we have trustees of Brenda, Alistair and Howard, and Henry as secretary. But I felt as there's been a journey, obviously, with the church over the last 50 years of Snow Hill, when it was first built, that actually we as a church talk about that and share what is happening. And that will be happening on the 9th of November after the service, the 9th of November after the service. It's easy to remember because it is Remembrance Sunday. But let's pray. Father, we pray that you would wake us this morning, wake us to our belief in Jesus Christ afresh, that we may indeed remember, obey, repent, and find ourselves filled afresh with the very power that raised Christ from the dead, that the world may believe he is Lord to your eternal glory. Amen. Well, it's been a very busy week for me. hasn't for you, I'm sure. It's been busy for me because I've done more than one day. I normally just work Sundays, obviously, people say, (laughs) being a vicar. But I had to do a few more days this week, and it's been quite busy. And then I got this pain in my ear, then had an ear infection, uh, then speaking at Margaret's funeral, which was uh, a deep privilege, but deeply moving and emotional for me. And then you move on to the next thing, which is Alpha. Then you move on to hearing about vocations in the Church of England in a four-hour meeting that seemed to go on forever. And then you go on and visit somebody at home with communion who's dying. And you break this bread and you pour out wine. And it is an amazing kind of role, job that I have, where I'm suddenly in all these different places, like a butterfly flitting all over here, where you're in the depths of despair, but then the heights of emotion as we're preparing to do a wedding on Thursday here. And they're so excited. They're so excited. And all that's happening here in preparation for that. Then yesterday, a choir in here, serving lunch to over 65 people. An interesting prospect, really, of the whole day. And then just finding myself going back and seeing people come back from the rugby. And just for a moment, in my daydreaming moment, thinking, gosh, I wonder what it'd be like to have a weekend to work Monday to Friday, and then have Saturday and Sunday off. An interesting daydream, I thought. And then I thought this. I suddenly woke up again 
to Margaret Tooze's voice speaking in my head, where she once said to me, Simon, this is not a job. This is a response to the call of the shepherd to go and feed his sheep. And I was reminded of that. This isn't a job. This is a response that I made to be obedient and to follow the shepherd and to feed his sheep. It was like a prophetic voice breaking in the midst of my daydreams, my not feeling too well, poor Simon feeling. No, please don't go, ah, it's okay. Because you've had it tough too, I can see. I've already heard of other people's weeks and how busy they've been. We all have busy weeks. And I wonder in the weeks that we've all had, how has God's prophetic voice broken into you? Where have you suddenly woken up to the truth of who you are in Christ, but above all, who Christ is in you? Because it was like a prophetic voice breaking in through Margaret. And it's important to remember that as we go through these letters, the churches in Revelation, that God is speaking not only to them, but he's speaking to us today. For the churches in Revelation reflect all states and stages that churches can come and be and drift into. So as we journey through these letters, it's helpful to return to the very beginning, the beginning of the awesome image and attentive image of Christ, who is the one who we keep reading in these letters, knows the churches, and he speaks into their situation prophetically. Christ, through the Spirit, through John, is addressing the churches. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's a prophecy given to the churches that in turn is helping us as a church be a prophetic witness in the world today. Do you understand that? Do you see that? God is sending a prophetic message to these churches so these churches may wake up, may hear and listen to God, that they indeed may be God speaking into the world today. That's how important these messages and letters are. And the one who is speaking has hair on his head as white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Thank you. That's gracious. Gracious. Thank you, James. Look at that. Thank you. The water bearer to the vicar. Marvelous. Like Nehemiah. Cup bearer to the vicar. Sorry. Thank you. The one who's speaking is not me, not not yet anyway, with white wool-like hair, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire, and his feet like burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. This is quite a big image that we're trying to be given of Christ here, that we can lose in the letters. This is the one who's speaking. Is this the one who you see as both awesome and attentive? We have to expand our image of Jesus here as the one whose eyes are like fire. And because they're like fire, he knows and he looks into the churches. The message puts it like this. Up on your feet, take a deep breath. Maybe there's life in you yet but I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. I see right through you. I see right through your work. Gosh, tough words, these, from the one who has eyes like fire. 
that sort of penetrate into the very depths. He speaks with a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. And so what he speaks can be really quite cutting. It can cut through to the very core of what really is the truth. And what we're discovering week by week is that the churches are called to be concerned about the truth of God. They are being called prophetically to live the way God is calling them to live. And all this inspired by the Holy Spirit, the power that enables the churches to be kingdom outposts in the world. Each of them has a task, and the task is to make God's truth known and to let all know that one day the awesome, attentive king is going to return. And one of the dominant themes that we have seen in these past weeks is the concern about truth. Truth in the messages from the one who's speaking, who is called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And he keeps saying to the churches, I know, I know, I see. And Jesus addresses the churches as the one who knows the real truth of the condition they're in, because he's the one who we are told is walking among the seven lampstands. And as he walks, he observes. He observes what they are really like, not what they're pretending to be like, but what they really are like. For his eyes of flame penetrate the hidden truths, the motives, and this creates a feeling of discomfort. <clears throat> Jesus sees. He sees the false confidence in chapter 3, verse 17. He sees the slanderers in chapter 2, verse 9. He sees sexual immor immorality. And today in Sardis, he sees their false reputation, verse 1. <clears throat> and the church is following, it seems, a similar career to that of the very city of Sardis itself. We're going to think about Sardis now. A bit like Bath, once a byword of wealth with its pomp, it was a prosperous place of trade and industry. Particularly, we are understanding, or told, in luxury clothing. Prada comes to Sardis. And people looked good. You look good. You look good on the outside. And that's what people were concerned about in Sardis. They were concerned about their outward appearance, <clears throat> and it mattered to them a great deal. The city itself was protected. It was almost impregnable. It was a citadel, and inside that, there was a fortress. And yet twice in its history, in 546 and 214 BC, it was attacked. It wasn't a massive frontal attack, as normally they are. It was won by stealth, and it was won at night. It's very important that how Sardis is taken is by stealth and at night, while everyone is sleeping. And this is what we read in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Rather a different tone than previous letters we've read. Jesus has usually found something to commend in even the worst churches. Here, 
the only good thing he finds is that they have a good reputation. In other churches, we read of dangers that threaten the church. There's fierce struggles going on with pagans, imperial forces, or heretical hostilities. But no, none of that is mentioned here in Sardis. We don't really know what the problem is. But it seems to be the church is as quiet as the grave, for they are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And this was the truth of the prophetic words of Christ to the church at Sardis, and it's deeply challenging. It looked really good, like fine garments of Sardis would have been, but something was amiss. Their reputation had lulled them into sleeping. They were only half-living, and they were spiritually unaware. They are the couch potato of the churches, the seven churches. We get no sense of hostility towards them at all. There's no threat. They have simply merged into the city of Sardis. There's no distinctiveness. They seem to be bland and nominal. And there seems to be that there was no life of the Spirit. The church had lost its vitality that once it had known. But now it's known by Jesus as a corpse. It's a hard thing to say to a church. You look alive, but actually you're dead. This is what Jesus knows. I found it very challenging reading this this week in moving from one thing to the next to the next to the next, where there's almost been no time to pause. And it's been quite like that all term, really. I've looked really quite busy, actually. But I wonder what's going on inside me. Why am I just being active? Why do I need to be doing all these things? <clears throat> what is the inner life that fuels all that activity? A church, you see, can become successful. It can do lots of different things, and a reputation can be grown. Oh, you're going to Bath. You must go and visit Walcott. I hear great things of them. The danger is that that's what we become known for, what we do. We can become almost like a machine, and then sadly we can become a monument, looking back only to past reputation. And this church has a tremendous past reputation, where the galleries were full and students were here and the Word of God was preached and the Spirit fell. And we can live off its past inheritance and the glories of days gone by. And the image of Christ with fire in his eyes fills me with anxiety. It's a message to disturb the comfortable church, a church that's simply resting on its past, living off its inheritance. Or it could fill me in anxiety for the life I'm leading, for the comfortable Christian who feels good about themselves because of all they're doing and all they're doing for God. Man looks at the outward appearance, the Bible tells us. A busy program, lots of good deeds, a busy, active, helpful life that speaks of being alive, a buzz. But even that becomes like a drug spiritually to us. 
where we simply lull ourselves off to sleep and we rest upon a bed of self-confidence. But the passage goes on to say, but God looks at the heart. And that's what Jesus is doing through these letters. He's with his double-edged sword, speaking, cutting through everything and looking for truth. And what is the truth? What's truthfully going on? With all that, with not much to say for Sardis, really, except that they are dead. I mean, that's, that's quite a big thing, isn't it? There's nothing, lifelessness. Nothing can change once you're dead. That's it. You'd think there was no hope. But we are hearing the words from the one who is Christ, who is risen, who is speaking from the very heights of heaven. And he gives us a remedy. He gives Sardis words, words through this letter. And the first word is wake up, then strengthen what remains. And then remember, therefore, what you received, what you heard and obeyed, and repent. Within these words, life can begin again. It's so hard waking up sometimes. Yesterday, the alarm went off at quarter to seven. We then got up at half past seven as we fell asleep again, which is quite worrying when Anne has to be at work by a certain time. It's so wonderful sometimes to remain under the duvet, that duvet moment where you just get engulfed and think, I'll just drift off again. Wake up! <laughs> Sorry for those with sensitive ears there. <laughs> that is how Jesus intends to speak to this church called Sardis. The prophetic words call the church to wake up from its slumber, to remember this is the risen Christ speaking, and that that same power that raised Christ from the dead can be, will be, at work in them. Take notice. You're under attack. You're under attack from your very success, and it's making you blind, making you blind to what's happening now. So wake up. Wake up. And then they are to strengthen what remains. There is encouragement, as some people seem to have done more than just look good. They have stuck to the gospel. You have a few people, only a few, in Sardis, who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And some commentators believe that this is reminding people of the day when they were baptized, when they would have put white robes on. And some people, from their baptismal vows, have remained faithful to the promises of turning to Christ, of rejecting the devil and rebellion against God. This is the point in their lives at baptism, where they chose to give their life to Christ, where they chose to remain committed to him, where their first pledge of allegiance was to Christ and to Christ alone as they came up out of the waters, where they would die to self and rose again to new life, the new life that Christ empowered them to live and died that they should live and could live. And the challenge is for all to hear the recommendation of Jesus to join them. He, he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. 
but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Churches in these churches that we're thinking of in Revelation, they have gone as we've heard from Esther and from Peter. They are no longer there. But individuals we hear, their names are going to be remembered forever in the book of life. Those who remain faithful to their turning to Christ, their rejection of evil, and all rebellion against God. And this may be a message to some here this morning, a word for some who have drifted. Perhaps you have the outward appearance of being an alive Christian. But it's not Simon who's saying this this morning. It is Christ with fire in his eyes who is saying to you, be truthful with yourself. Be aware of how far you have gone. Do you even remember where you once were with me? Perhaps you've only just begun to notice that you're falling to sleep. I want to say, don't ever believe the lie that the devil can kick in at this time with, that you have gone too far away, that it's too late for you. The invitation is open to you now, this morning. Wake up to a new day, for the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy is new every morning, even this morning. But what do I do if I have woken up? How do I strengthen what remains? Jesus tells us, verse 3, Remember, therefore, what you once received and heard. Obey it and repent. And the prophetic voice of Christ, the one who speaks with fire in his eyes and a double two-edged sword mouth, coming out of his mouth, encourages us to rekindle the message that they'd originally heard, to strangely warm the heart that's gone cold with that heartfelt response they originally had when Christ revealed himself to them. As you remember with those on the road to Emmaus, even though it was dark and late at night, they ran back to Jerusalem. They were filled with a new energy. They started downhearted. At the end, they were running with fire in their hearts, a flame, a light going into the dark. It's important here that Jesus, too, is not asking them to take a new step, but he's asking them to recapture the beliefs they once held dear. All I once held dear built my life upon knowing you, Jesus. There is no better thing. The beauty of doing Alpha is that you go back and you hear the eternal truths of the Christian story. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? What does he mean to me? What is my response? And as you begin to share that with people, you suddenly feel your own heart being strangely warmed and reminded of your own relationship with Christ. Oh, that we could all do Alpha. 
Perhaps we should as a church one year. And rekindle the love we first had. He says, remember, obey, and repent. Remember what they'd received. They're to go back to the Bible, back to the teachings of Jesus. They are to fill their minds, their minds with him, because our minds informs our thinking. Our thinking informs our behavior and how we live. And we are to see how glorious he is. And we are to know the truth, for the truth shall set us free. In communion, we are commanded by Jesus to remember him, to be put back together, to be put back together in Christ. I was doing a communion this week with somebody who's dying, and their son, who's a confessed atheist, was sitting in the bedroom. And when I said the words, remember me, in the communion meal, he then came out and said, what do those words mean? What do those words mean? And to this atheist, I was able to share what this meal we were doing meant, what these words, remember me, mean. Do you remember? Do you put yourself back together again every day by remembering Christ and his teachings? I pray you do. We are to obey. And as you know, the root word in Latin for obey is to listen. They need to truly listen to this message. Not just think, oh, that was a nice sermon, vicar. These are the words from the one who is enthroned on high, whose hair on his head was white as wool, his eyes blazing like fire, his feet like burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. Is that how you respond to these words? And if they truly listen in Sardis, if we truly listen in Bath, then we will be transformed, living lives for Jesus, not counting the cost be nice to have a weekend off, but to live alone for him. And as we live for him, our lives then become distinctive. There is a flavor, there is a saltiness, there is a light about us that burns brightly, but it's going to disturb the world. It's going to disturb where you are in your office, in your school, in your street, with your neighbors, with your family. You are going to be a disturbance. Remember, Sardis was not disturbing anybody. They were threatening no one. How is your remembering Christ and your obedience to him in listening to his ways and following them? How is that disturbing people? Then we are to repent because we realize we cannot do it all. They are to attempt, repent because they are dead. They've forgotten the life of Christ within them. And that is a sad thing. And in order to come to life, they need to come to the cross. And they are to play their part and we are to play ours. And the part we play at that point of the cross is repentance. Repentance supported by faith. 
And repentance doesn't mean sackcloth and ashes and the beatings of one's chest. It may mean tears, but they will be tears of utter relief and joy as much as sorrow. Repentance means turning so as to face in another direction, metanoia. And Jesus comes with the truth you see. And when we see ourselves in his light and truth, repentance will be an honest recognition of our own past choices that have led us now to realize how dead we have become, rather than the life that he wants to give us. <clears throat> and repentance is a resolve to open ourselves towards the renewal of awareness that Christ is in our lives. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked look to thee for dress, foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. For you and I will need to pray for courage. We will need to pray for courage, for you will remember how it hurts when the circulation to a limb that has been numb or frozen for quite a while suddenly begins to feel the blood coming into it. It can be really painful. But remember this too. Whoever has started to turn is already halfway home. And the Father, the Father is running, running to meet you because you have remembered, because you have obeyed, and because you are sorry. And then finally return to verse 1. We're nearly there. Jesus, we read, holds the representatives of the churches in one hand and in the other an image of the Holy Spirit, a complete image. Seven is a complete number in Revelation, perfection. The perfect spirit who has the perfect gifts and power. And it's Jesus on the cross is the one who brings these two things together. And in Sardis, they need to come to the cross to see Christ afresh and receive from that point a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to become filled with a holy restlessness and energy. They are to dream again. They are to have visions of the world where God brings his newness, his newness of life against all reason and in the face of uncompromising circumstances. St. Patrick writes this, I used to be roused to prayer in snow and frost and rain, and I felt no harm. He wasn't crying out for a weekend off. Nor was there any inclination to take things easily in me. Why? Because I see now the Spirit seized in me. The Spirit filled me. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And then he went on to speak of the comforter being given, the Holy Spirit. Are you taking things too easy? Am I, as your leader, wanting to take things too easy? We were reminded this week in the profile you sent out for a new vicar seven, year, eight years ago. We want a shepherd who will not just see us through green pastures, 
but through the rough places as well. David Braceful said this of someone who was a leader in the church. This leader said, I mislaid Jesus for a while, but I found him again. If we have mislaid Jesus, spiritual death is sure to follow. But if we remember, if we obey, if we repent, and are filled afresh with the Spirit, we will live. I think the key word is wake up. We don't just wake up once and that's it. <laughs> we have to keep on waking up. Waking up to this truth. Waking up to the truth of living for Christ, even though it's hard, even though you want a weekend and do normal things that people do even though you may be ill, even though you may be struggling, even though you're thinking of giving up, we need to wake up. Wake up to the Holy Spirit of God and His power to be at work within us. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to each one of us. I'm going to end with a prayer that's going to come on the screen. There is something about Sardis being too comfortable. There may be something about Walcott being too comfortable. There may be something about you being too comfortable. And the message, the message of the one prophetically through Christ, as Margaret spoke to me, is one where we are to remember, obey, repent, and be filled afresh. And we need to wake up. Let's pray. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess we have lost our thirst for the waters of life, Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we wake up this morning afresh, as God's word challenges us, we're going to stand and sing, I will offer up my life. They are big words. It may be that as you are here this morning, you want to commit afresh to Christ, to remember, to obey and repent and be filled.
do come forward. Do come and seek prayer as we sing these songs of repentance and then being filled with the Spirit. Wake up. Wake up. Shall we stand? us and to reawaken us. Uh, join in when you feel ready to or just simply pray this prayer. Pray the words as a prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. Mm -hmm. 
Speak.